All across the world today, people are gathering together to celebrate the story of the resurrection. But we haven't, in truth, gathered here together this morning to celebrate just a story. We have gathered here together this morning to celebrate a reality. We're here to celebrate an event that actually happened, whether we believe that it happened or not. And you don't need me to tell you this, but there are many people in our world who don't believe that the resurrection of Jesus really took place. Almost everyone I know, even if they're not Christian people, like the idea of resurrection. They're drawn to it. But they just can't bring themselves to accept that a carpenter from Nazareth who claimed to be the Son of God was exactly who he claimed to be, and that on the third day he rose again. And so instead of thinking about it as something that really took place, something that actually happened, they used the idea of resurrection as a motivator. Right? Everybody likes to think about this idea that we can have a, a, a philosophical concept of undying love, love that is stronger than death. People like to, to consider this poetic metaphor of a second chance. No matter what we've been through, we can have a new life. Figuratively speaking, some people use it as a way to think about self-help, you know, how to get to a place in their life that they want to be. But, but all of these people who like the idea of resurrection, but they can't quite get to the place of, of betting their life on this reality that Jesus Christ really did come back from the dead. And we, we can relate to that. All of us, even as people of faith, we can relate to that kind of questioning doubt. The world we live in, we know it very well, is a world where we don't just take things because somebody said, well, this happened. And then we say, okay, well, I'll just take your word for it. We want scientific, verifiable proof if we're going to say we're going to place our trust, our, our lives around an idea, around an event. If we're going to do that, then we want to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that that event really happened. And, and I know that, that for people in our world who like the idea of resurrection but, but can't quite get to the place of believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they may feel like that, that abstract positive thinking is enough for them. But I've got to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, it's not enough for me. I don't want to, to maybe kind of believe that, that maybe there's this abstract hope that we have of life after death, that it's a possibility. I don't want to, to found my life, to place my life on just a possibility. I want to build my life on a conviction. I want to build my life on something that I know has happened. And that's what we come here this morning to do. To recenter our lives on this reality, on this event. But the world, the world is going to always have questions. And it doesn't do us or the world any good for us to ignore those questions. We know that for so many people, seeing is believing. Right? That, that they want there to be something that they know because they, they can reach out, they can measure it, they can observe it, they can touch it, that it's real. 
And yet we're asking them as people of faith to believe in something that they're going to have to take on faith. And what is it exactly that we're asking them to believe in that they can't quite see? You know, not one of Jesus' first followers thought that he was coming back from the dead. Not one of them. I mean, they watched his crucifixion. They, they watched him have to endure one of the most painful deaths that anyone has ever devised. They watched him cry out. They watched him suffer. They watched his spirit leave his body. They watched his lifeless body taken down from the cross. They watched his body be placed into a tomb. They watched people roll this large stone over the entrance of the tomb. They watched it all from beginning to end. They saw it all. And together they came to the place where they believed that nobody could come back from that. Not even Jesus Christ. Nobody could come back from that. And I can't say this any more directly or bluntly. But I want you to know that for those first century followers of Jesus, their hope died when he died. They didn't know the end of the story. They weren't able to fast forward through the parts of the story that made them feel uncomfortable or feel like they were struggling with doubt. Their hope died when he died. It was over. Until it wasn't. Early on Sunday morning, things start to change. There are Jesus sightings beginning to take place. A woman named Mary goes to the tomb to pay her respects to Jesus and she doesn't find his body there. And she starts to talk to a stranger who's standing by his tomb. And there's something about this, this man she's talking to, even though she doesn't feel like she knows him, there's another part of her that feels like he's vaguely familiar. And the more they visit, the more they talk, the more the eyes of her heart are opened. And the more... She begins to see, really see who she's talking to. And it's Jesus, alive and well. I mean, she can, she can barely admit what she thinks she's seeing, but she knows what she's seeing. It's him. It's her savior. It's her teacher. It's her friend. He tells Mary to go back and tell the others that, that he's risen from the dead and nothing will ever be the same again. And Mary goes and does exactly what he asks her to do. She, she shares the story with, with the other followers and the friends of Jesus who have gathered together. They don't know where else to go. And then later on that same day in the evening, Jesus shows up for all of them. He appears to, to them as, as a gathered group. He, he speaks to them words of peace. He lets them see his still wounded hands and his still riven side. They're overjoyed. Well, there is one of them who's, who's not overjoyed, and it's because he wasn't there. His name's Thomas. And we don't know why he wasn't there with the other friends and followers of Jesus when, when Jesus appears, but he wasn't there. And so where, wherever he was gone to, he comes back and he finds out. That he missed it. Can you imagine? He missed it. But the story isn't over. Open your Bible to, to John chapter 20. We'll start reading together in verse 24. Now Thomas, 
also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I don't know about you, but I've always kind of felt like Thomas gets a bad rap. In many circles, he has a first name. A first name that his mother didn't give him, but we have. We call him Doubting Thomas. As if the rest of us never struggle with any, any doubt in our own hearts and souls. But we've all been shaped by this world that we live in. Whether we want to or not, we've been shaped by it. And we live in a world where seeing is believing. We live in a world where most of us, even those of us who have faith, tend to trust our physical senses more than we trust our spiritual. We live in a world where the ultimate truth for the reality of anything is if there's physical evidence. Right? You and I, just like Thomas, we want to not just see, we want to touch it. We want to we reach out and feel it. We want to know that it's real, that we're not just imagining it. In other words, we live in a world full of people who can relate to Thomas, who are just like Thomas. And I think if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we all of us have moments when we are just like Thomas too. We want to see it before we believe it. Thomas could have believed Mary, right? He, he could have believed his friends, the, the other apostles, when they, when they insist and swear to him, we've seen the risen Lord. But he, he couldn't do it. He just can't get there. He can't get to a place where he takes their stories over all of his questions. It's going to take more than just their words, more than just their testimony for him to have the kind of faith he's desperate to have. He, he needs his own personal Jesus sighting. He needs his own personal resurrection encounter. And Jesus gives Thomas that experience that he needs so desperately. Jesus helps Thomas see and feel and touch so that he can believe. But then Jesus says something that I have always, it just always bothered me. Because he says, look, you had to see in order to believe, Thomas. But blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. And, and it seems like every time I hear somebody preach a sermon on this story, they end up trying to convince me that I should feel blessed because as a modern day Christian, I'm one of the, the countless people throughout the, the years, the 2,000 years, who have had to find a way to believe without seeing. And I suppose those preachers are, are on to something. I mean, you and I, as, as people of faith, we are the people who have found a way through the grace of God to believe in Jesus without actually seeing him first. Jesus has never appeared in the same room with me. Jesus has never spoken directly to me 
The way he speaks to Thomas saying, you know, stop doubting and believe. Jesus has never given me a front row seat to see this amazing new kind of life after death. Maybe Jesus was talking about us when he said to Thomas that there would be these people who believe without seeing him first. But what Jesus wasn't saying and what Jesus couldn't have possibly been saying is that we're the people who are going to have to believe in Jesus without ever getting to see him. Because of the resurrection, because the love and the grace of God has transformed the dead end of the grave into a pathway to new life, we live in a new world, a world where we're no longer convinced that seeing is believing. Because of Easter, brothers and sisters, we now live in a world where believing is seeing. Because of Easter, we live in a world where our faith really can become sight. I misspoke a few moments ago when I said that I've never encountered Jesus in a room with me. Or that Jesus has never spoken directly to me the way he speaks to Thomas. It was late in the evening, the, the sun had gone down, and I was lying on my bed with my little girl Riley Kate asleep on my chest. She was less than a month old. She was so light, and she was so little. But she instantly made my life bigger in ways that I still can't really describe. I, I could feel her tiny heart beating. I could feel her breathing. I, I could smell the scent of the soap that we used to bathe her in. The room was dark except for just a little bit of, of light that was coming from the hallway, from the opening in the bedroom door. It was just a sliver of light. There in that almost completely dark room, my mind was filled with a kind of heaviness that only comes from fear and doubt. I was... I was in the midst of fighting against cancer, and I had already had two surgeries because of it. My cancer had actually shown up a few weeks before Riley did. And while the doctors told me that my prognosis was good, I was still under very careful observation. And there were all kinds of questions about recurrence and things you don't want to have to think about when you have a brand new baby girl. It kept me up at night, the fear and the doubt. And it wasn't just the fear and the doubt that was stealing sleep for me. It was also a question. The question is, is my little girl going to know me? Is, is my little girl going to know me? Is the cancer going to stay away? Is... Is my life going to go in such a way that I'm going to be able to be here? I'm going to be around for her. I'm going to get to see her grow up and, and graduate from high school and graduate from college and get married. That kind of question, those kinds of thoughts, they, they don't just keep you up at night. They, they bother you any time it gets quiet. They're the kinds of doubts and fears and questions that haunt you. And in that moment, when I had her on my chest and she was sound asleep, I, I was angry because I felt like I should have felt peace and contentment in that moment. And here I was wondering, how long was I going to be able to experience life like this? And so I started to pray in that dark room out of desperation. And I said 
to God, please help me. Help me have confidence in you. Help me have a sense of how much you care for me and love me. Help me have a sense for how much you love this little girl. Please protect me. Keep healing me. Keep me safe because she needs me and I want to I be there for her. Please. And that's when it happened. Right in the middle of that prayer. I felt someone sit down on the edge of the bed. I felt someone, you've done this, you've been laying on the bed before and you can feel someone sit on the edge of the mattress. It was on the opposite corner from where I was. And I assumed, because my eyes were closed while I was praying, that Lauren, my wife, had slipped in and was being as quiet as she could possibly be not to wake the baby. When I opened my eyes, she wasn't there. And that's when... I felt a voice. I I felt it more than I heard it, but I felt it loud and clear. And this is what I heard. Don't be afraid. I'm with you and I promise you, your daughter's going to know you. And in that moment, I knew who was in the room with me. I knew who was speaking to me. It was the risen Lord. It was Jesus. And the moment I realized who it was, he was gone, but his promise to me wasn't. Riley's going to turn 11 in three days. And I have been free from cancer her entire life. Now, I want you to, to understand that I don't believe Because that happened. It's because I believe that that I decided in the moment that I was having that experience that it wasn't just something I ate. That it wasn't just something I was imagining. That it wasn't something I was making up. Because we have a faith that helps us see what nobody else can see. And anybody else in a world of, of skepticism and, and, and jaded hearts, they could say, you, you just, you're making this up. You don't know what happened to you. you. I know what happened to me and I know who was in the room with me. And I know who is speaking to me. And I know he's here with us now. And I find in my life over and over that God is trying to teach me how to open up my life and my eyes wide enough to really see Jesus in all of the places where he's present. To really encounter this this kind of Jesus sighting that I think happens if only we'll believe so that we can see. I mean, think about in your own experience. Haven't we all witnessed times when for no other explanation, joy outshines sorrow? When, when faith overturns doubt, when peace triumphs over pain and weakness turns into strength, when healing transforms wounds in us that we thought we would never, ever recover from, moments when, brothers and sisters, in the end we discover that there is no end. That it's just the beginning. Moments in life when we realize the limits of death itself and that our God is greater Strange events, improbable events, impossible events. There's a name for that. Resurrection. Resurrection. But I'm telling you, we won't see it 
until we believe in it. So brothers and sisters, on this Easter morning, I'm begging you, believe it. I know there are real reasons to doubt. I know that some of you in this room may have more questions than answers when it comes to your journey of faith. I know, but in spite of it all, I'm begging you to believe first. And then you'll see. I can't tell you exactly how or exactly when, but I can promise you, if you'll believe first, then you will see. Because the resurrection isn't a fairy tale. The resurrection isn't too good to be true. The resurrection is real. And the resurrection is the one thing that we need to be true more than anything else. And because we need that to be true more than anything else, God makes it true. God makes it true. Our faith can become sight. But we have to choose it. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their spouses will be out in our lobby, various places to receive you, to pray with you. If you're somebody who has never made a commitment to be a Christian, to follow Christ, we want you to visit with those couples. If you have any concerns at all in your life, any burdens that you need, you need to see and experience a resurrection, please go to them. They want to pray with you and talk with them as together we stand and sing.